In this episode of The Interface, I speak with Corinne McDonald, Environmental Health and Safety Manager for Times Microwave Systems in Wallingford, Connecticut. Corinne has been with Amphenol for two years after seven years as an EH&S consultant outside of the interconnect industry. We talk about how annual summer trips out west and an inspirational college professor inspired her to get into environmental science. We talk about how much she's learned over the past eight months in dealing with the effects of the coronavirus pandemic on the business. And we talk about her favorite desert island music and a book called Llama Llama Red Pajama. This is The Interface. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time today because I know you are uh, busy in the middle of a myriad of activities at Times Microwave Systems, Corinne. But you as the EHS manager at one of our many Amphenol divisions, for those who don't know, how would you describe what an EHS manager is? Well, um, each day is quite eventful, as was today. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, especially during a pandemic in overseeing EHS programs over multiple locations that right now I can't necessarily be physically present yeah. at. Um, Zoom and Teams has been very helpful in that regard. But I mean, there's just such depth and breadth that comes with environmental health and safety that. One moment you could be facilitating a RICRA training and ensuring that hazardous waste is stored properly, disposed of properly. And the next moment you could be handling a minor employee injury yeah. um, and acting as school nurse. So, I mean, there's just a lot that kind of goes into it, but at the end of the day, it's just so fulfilling because at least the employees and colleagues here that I have at TMS, you can tell that they truly appreciate the efforts that go in. You know, I was thinking about this before you and I talked today. EHS managers at, at whatever facility it is, you know, I think are probably in large part and take this in the spirit with which it's intended, maybe taken for granted, right? Like, ah, oh, okay, yeah, they're going to come and, you know, be the sticklers for the rules and all that sort of stuff, right? But certainly in the last, let's call it eight months, uh, based on you know what that we've been dealing with, you've certainly, you and your contemporaries across Amphenol and across industry around the country and around the world have really come to the forefront to be leaders in the effort to combat the coronavirus. How much has that changed in your perception, other people's perception of what you do? Well, I've been very fortunate here at Times Microwave Systems that environmental health and safety has been seen as a cornerstone to our overall success even prior to the pandemic mm -hmm. and the and there has been concerted focus on it it all stems from upper management um right. especially bill callahan right when i entered the the facility here I was incorporated within our all hands meetings and there is a specific component of that which is all, always targeted towards environmental health and safety. So that trickles down and it shows the importance of it that the company truly cares about the health and safety of its employees and it's felt throughout. I mean, of course, I need to prove all of the resources that I need and I love that I get that from my team. They push back on things. But ultimately, 
environmental health and safety has been such a forefront of all of our decision-making processes. So you bring up a good point in that when you're dealing with flowing down some of these requirements that you have and that you want to place on uh, operations within the factory that you might run into resistance from some people um, and they question why you may be implementing these particular changes. How do you typically deal with those issues? Of course, um, each decision that we have to make um, is pragmatic in that you need to take into consideration health and safety, but also the continuity of the business. Mm -hmm. In many cases, there is a cost associated with not deploying a a program. Yeah. yeah. Um, so costs could be from an environmental standpoint, the regulations that we have to adhere to if you um, if you if you break a, a RICRA regulation, there right. is a monetary fine and consequence to that. So those are very easy to kind of push forward. And from for instance, a employee injury standpoint, mm-hmm. you can also kind of affix costs to that to kind of prove the importance of the resources that you're trying to deploy. So I'm going to back up for you now. You get out of high school and you go to college. So I cheated. I looked it up. You went to Franklin and Marshall, huh? Yes. In Lancaster. I think I pronounced that right because I have a cousin that lives there. In Lancaster, yeah, PA. Lancaster. Yeah. See, not bad. So how did you come up with a environmental science type background? How did how did that happen? Yeah, that's a great question. So from a very young age, my parents weaved environmental kinship into pretty much everything that our family did. We would go out west for a month a month at a time each summer, uh, visiting the national parks. And of course, our close proximity environment. So I was always very in tune with environmental policy. And when I got to FNM, um, I was predominantly focused on chemistry intensive courses, biology, environmental science, of course. And then I took an environmental law course with Professor Pepino, and he Um, was retired from the Environmental Protection Agency and had a wonderful career with them. That was just fascinating to me. And I could finally see how you could integrate the science aspect with the policy aspect. And then hopefully, as I found out later in my career, you could see that put into practice. So I kind of digested the environmental law. I took an environmental policy course, environmental economics, environmental health risks. So those kind of led me towards a profession Mm -hmm. in environmental sciences. My father, he had his entire, he spent his entire career at Pratt and Whitney Mm -hmm. um, here in Connecticut. And he had the foresight to see how I could implement that into a career, Mm -hmm. a career path. So while I was still in college, I interned at Pratt and Whitney's Belkan division in their environmental health and safety department. So I work with their ACE program, which is essentially 5S and did a lot of the OSHA, um, implemented a lot of the OSHA programs that they were required to put forth. So that really was a great stepping stone um, into the professional career of environmental health and safety. Of course, I did graduate in 2009, which was not 
a opportune time for a, a new graduate to enter <laughs> yeah. their professional career. Yeah. Um, so I actually first started as an as a staff scientist at the New Connecticut Science Center in Hartford. So for a few years, I was developing STEM curriculum for the state of Connecticut mm. and in providing professional development for K through 12 educators. So coming, I, I, my mother was a fourth grade teacher. So I kind of was able to scratch that itch of education and kind of see uh, and work in a lab with students as a environmental science and geosciences specialist. And then realized, you know what, I really want to get back into policy and law, which is where my true passion is. Mm-hmm. Before coming, becoming a EHNS consultant, um, I was actually, at my own time, I volunteered with the Land Use Leadership Alliance, which is um, a program with Pace Law School, as well as the Connecticut Coalition for Environmental Justice. So I, even while I was at the Connecticut Science Center, I really knew that it wasn't something I wanted to let go of. I wanted to mm-hmm. continue to pursue that. And then finally made the leap into consulting, um, which gave me the depth and breadth of knowledge uh, needed and additional education I needed for a fulfilling career in EHS. Wow, that's, there's a lot to unpack there. But that's a yeah, fascinating industry. No, no, that's great. I'm glad that you shared that. Uh, I mean, I, I'm going to go all the way back to when you took the trips as a kid. So what? Yeah. yeah, what were these trips like? So what did you do on these trips? I'm I'm semi fascinated with that. I, I mean, I commend my parents for because it, it's a lot to embark on to, uh, with three children mm-hmm. uh, to go out west for a month every summer. Like where? And, where did you go? We would probably stay one night at a hotel and Mm -hmm. the rest of the time was spent traveling in a van from camp to camp, Mm -hmm. going to all of the national parks out west. I mean, I I pretty much check all of them off of my list. And so my mother was a fourth grade teacher, had the summers off. Yeah. And my dad would hold all of his vacation time for that month in the summer. Um, Yeah. (laughs) And it really drew my family together. We have such a close bond. Um, My brothers are eight and 10 years older than me, but we are just so close. Uh Um, I think because of those summers out West, my favorites were going to the Grand Tetons and Glacier National Park and Yosemite Mm -hmm. and Yellowstone, all of those places that you kind of see uh, in movies and in National Geographic, but when you're actually there, it's it's just so awe-inspiring. And I think a lot of what paved my path in the career of environmental health and safety was because of those summers. Were your parents actively talking about how important it was that you were outdoors in this environment, or did you just naturally develop this passion on your own just by observing and and absorbing all of this, you know, sensory information? Yeah, I think it was, it's a combination of the two. Um, I would say my mom considers herself an environmentalist. Mm -hmm. She, I'm always so amazed by my mother. She was the president of her organic um, co-op. And that's how I grew up on organic food, even before it was 
widely offered in the grocery store. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And she was a beekeeper. We had hives in the backyard. So it was always something that was very important to our entire family. Mm-hmm. Maybe not always spoken of, but you just kind of naturally through osmosis absorb it. When we were out west, I mean, there are hours in the car driving from National Park to National Park and my mother would put on books on tape with about John Muir and mm-hmm. Benton McKay, who's the father of the Appalachian Trail. So, I mean, I think it it is, it's not a surprise to yeah. my parents that I kind of went this way. Yeah. Neither of my brothers did. I mean, my brother Greg has always been an engineer. Yeah. I mean, there's no changing that. And my <laughs> other brother is a dentist. But yeah. So how did you get into the consulting piece before Amphenol? Yeah. So um, as I mentioned, even while I was at the Connecticut Science Center, I knew that environmental law was what I wanted to move forward with. Mm -hmm. And EHS, especially as a consultant, you kind of take all of those things into one and you see immediate impact that it has on the business itself and of course of the employees. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did work at, for a triumvirate environmental and worked in niches including higher education. So I worked on a number of university campuses, mainly in pharmaceuticals. So both research laboratories as well as manufacturing. And that um, offered me such an, a wonderful opportunity to see all sorts of programs and understand the implementation of those, the regulations that go behind that, um, and making sure that all of the clients, even, even though they were very diverse, their programs were were, were solid. And um, of course, that employees and the environment were, were fully protected. You also talked too about STEM and STEM programs. And I know that's something you know, you and I have worked together now for a number of months, and I know you've talked about that before um, in, in other conversations. But tell me, you know, your feelings and why STEM and STEM type of programs are so important to young people. I mean, the, the focus of it is that everyone learns differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and STEM truly can speak to all of those different learning styles. And seeing the integration of science, technology, engineering, mathematics, and even art mm-hmm. um, is really helpful for students to, to, to be able to grasp concepts. Mm-hmm. They need to see it integrated in that type of way. I mean, even for my own children, um, in the way that we approach different concepts, I always try to integrate those fields so that they are not pigeonholed into just one way of, of thinking right. and maybe one way that doesn't work for, for the way that they learn best. And then you come to Amphenol. And then I come to Amphenol. <laughs> so how did you come to Amphenol a couple years ago? So the consulting world um, is wonderful in that you kind of see all aspects, but I wanted to dive into a specific facility, a specific company and really feel like my efforts were invested. So Times Microwave Systems, having that open opportunity, I came in for the interview. Um, I was just blown away by both Bob Cunius and Ashley Anthony and their enthusiasm for the company. Um, And then, of course, interviewing with Bill, I could see that EHS was something 
that the company as a whole took a lot of concerted effort and interest in. And that's not always the case. Sometimes it is just a placeholder where you need to check off that EHS box and you don't necessarily put a lot of effort, faith, um, resources into. Mm -hmm. And I could see that that was just not the case with with times that I would really be supported here. Um, And that's what I found over the past two years, nearly two years being here. And almost half of that time now has been devoted to dealing with this coronavirus pandemic, almost, not quite. What has that been like for you? I'm sure Dr. Pepino back in Franklin and Marshall didn't have a class on how EH&S managers should handle pandemics effectively. So what has this been like for you and how much have you learned over the last eight months in working not only with the Wallingford facility, but you have a West Palm Beach, Florida facility, you have a Mesa facility, and then incorporating you know, regulations for all three of those. How is that, what has that been like for you and how much have you learned over this time? Oh my goodness. Yeah. It seems like eons ago um, that we first started on this path. So, I mean, while I was at Triumvirate um, and in my consulting career, we did, I did have a lot of experience with infection control, Mm. especially working within forensics laboratories, biology laboratories, BSL two to three. And we also Um, did a lot of work with Ebola in creating emergency action plans for for Ebola. But this is a completely new scenario and one that truly affects the business continuity as well as the employees in their their work lives and personal lives. So there's been a huge learning curve, of course. I don't know if I've slept in the past what is it nine months um i'm sure you can tell from the bags under my eyes but i mean it's just been i mean digesting information and making sure that we implement the best best practices to ensure that our employees understand those risks and are protected from from the potential risks i'm gonna put you on the spot now you're really gonna get nervous i've been doing this with with guests lately and and i think it's I enjoy it. We'll see if you do as well. And I think other people have, at least from what they've told me. So I'll put you in a scenario here where you're stuck on a deserted island by yourself, which might be something you may desire secretly from time to time, especially with everything going on. You're stuck on that island. You have one album or we'll say one artist that you could listen to while you're there. What album would that be or what artist would that be? That is so difficult. If you need to pick a couple, that's okay. I love to sing mm-hmm. um, in high school. So I went to Loomis Chafee, which was a boarding school, and acapella was huge. So I was the director of the acapellicans, <laughs> and um, I was in, <laughs> and I was in Broadway Review. I was also I also did that in college too. Yeah. So I mean, anything that I can I can sing, to, I could. That actually sounds wonderful. Can I go to a deserted island? <laughs> <laughs> You're not the first to ask. So yeah. am I? Do, should I assume it would be like you know some sort of an an a Broadway show album or something? You know what? I people are really going to make fun of me when they hear this, but I love the Pentatonix. Okay. Um, okay. Do you know the Pentatonix? I've heard of uh, them. I haven't heard them though. Yeah, I mean, they, they do a whole montage. I mean, it's, they do various artists, but I just love anything acapella that I can 
like in my brain, like piece, like pull apart the, the like soprano also like yeah. the, so I also, as a kind of a, like a present to my husband during, um, like at her before our wedding reception, yeah. I sang uh, Sarah Barriella or Barella. My gosh, I can't think of the song. But I mean, anything that I can truly like sing to, I yeah. love. Um, and I mean, we put Hall and Oates uh, radio station on in yeah. the kitchen, making dinner every night. Okay. Um, like happy music. I'd yeah, say. there you go. You stuck in an island. You might as well be happy. How about yeah. a book? I haven't I haven't read a book for myself that is not for my kids. I can't <laughs> I can't even remember when. It's yeah. it's really sad. I mean, I have a two and a half and a four and a half year old. Uh-huh. So most of our nights are I mean, llama llama red pajama and <laughs> llama llama red pajama. I like that. Yeah. So I'll have to, I'll in in a few years when I have have the time and the headspace, I'll. I can respond to that question. <laughs> Fair enough. For now, it'll be Llama Llama Red Pajama. How about Correct. that? Okay. And then finally, how about a movie? So everyone here at times, like we have meetings regularly with our core COVID team and they are all movie buffs as well as my husband. Yeah. And I could care less. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I don't, I don't really... So nothing with if the kids, not like time. like Toy Story or Coco. Or... Yeah, if I don't, if I have spare time, I don't turn on the TV. I would rather organize my closets or clean my kitchen, um, so that I can go to bed at night and know that I'll be waking up to a clean house. <laughs> okay, I give you win. <laughs> no I, movies. I, you've never heard that response. No, I have from not. Any of your guests. No, no. But uh, it it is an honest response, and that's what I like about it. Um, <laughs> be- before we go, any chance you could sing for us? No, I won't do that. Oh, to you. Okay. I won't do that. To you. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, Corinne. Thank you very much for doing this. I know you're very busy there. I know that you know you have done a tremendous amount of work for not only Times Microwave, but for uh, people around Amphenol Corporation over the last eight months with all the work and the advice and the, the the information that you've shared with the entire corporation. And, you know, I know I can probably speak for everyone to say thank you very much for all you've done for that. And I wish the best for you and your family during this holiday season. Thank you, Corinne. Thank you. You as well.